right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. Welcome to In Your Corner. Thank you very much for joining this incredible podcast. We are brought to you by Cora Physical Therapy. Remember to go out to Cora Physical Therapy. If you need help spelling it, don't ask me. But they treat everyone right. At Cora, everyone is welcome. Everyone is respected. And everyone is supported to achieve success. Is that right, Brett? Yes, sir. Dang tootin'. All right. We've got a great uh, conversation. It, if you could only hear us in the pre-conversation, you would have just like, yeah, this is going to be a great conversation. And it is going to be. Coach Wells is in the hot seat. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this. But before we get into that conversation, let's get a little roundabout. Let's start with you, Brett. Just give us a background. And then we're going to go to Coach. And then we're going to hand it on over to Rick and Dr. Rick and go from there. Give us a little background, Brett. My name my name is Brett Kolek. I'm the regional vice president uh, with Core Therapy. Um, Work in the Kentucky, Tennessee, and the Bristol, Virginia region. Uh, been a physical therapist for about 28 years. Prior to that, um, I went to school at Eastern Kentucky University, played for the great uh, Coach Kidd from 1986 to 1990, uh, where it's a matter of pride. So it is a great privilege and honor to have uh, our head coach, Coach Wells, on this podcast today. All right, Coach Walt Wells, give us a little background. I, I, I'm looking out at your, 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 you know, stat card out there. You've done a lot of coaching. I've, yeah, and, that, and that's going a on positive. There. It's, it's, uh, I don't know how much uh, great coaching or good coaching I've done, but I've been involved in the game since '94 uh, in the college game. A little couple years before that, when I was finishing out my degree. Uh, in the uh, Rutherford County area of Tennessee at Smyrna High School with my brother did some scouting, some different little things for them when I was uh, trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. But I'm born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I uh, went to McGavick High School right there, uh, home of the, the one-year rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson. I uh, went there for a year uh, after me, though, and uh, then went on to play football at Austin Peay State University uh, in the OVC here uh, – formerly in the OVC with uh, KU and Middle Tennessee and all the, those guys. Uh, walked on there, earned a scholarship, uh, ended up playing for a couple years and uh, and just enjoying that experience. Uh, got my finance degree. Uh, didn't get my degree from um, Austin P. Uh, went and was trying out and doing some things. Uh, had some opportunities. Um, nothing solid at all. So uh, went back into Nashville and decided – I was probably far enough away from my degree that I needed it to just go to Belmont. And so I, my finance degree is from Belmont. Um, and then I uh, was working in uh, banking and starting to look at, you know, brokerage firms and stuff like that. And my dad was a longtime uh, entertainment accountant in Nashville. So with the Elvis movie being really hot um, and the Colonel Tom piece, uh, he was Colonel Tom's accountant for many, many years. Wow. Um, oh, that's he, cool. <laughs> he was Elvis's accountant for probably three years. And then the two partners decided that uh, moving to Memphis was not, they didn't know if he was going to make it. 
uh, obviously not a good decision. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, my dad used to say that all the time. Uh, so they stayed uh, and kept Colonel Tom, though, kept uh, Hank Snow, Ernest Tubb, a lot of the older guys. I wow. uh, had Hank Jr. for a while until he wrecked their uh, conference room, and then they had to let him go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> couldn't keep uh, a lot of stories. But uh, so I thought I was going to do that, and – my big brother, Bobby Wells, played at Austin P. also. Um, he, uh, he's a coach still today, 30-some-odd years later at Riverdale High School in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And he knew uh, – he could kind of tell I wasn't going in the right direction. And uh, nothing real bad, but just floundering, you know, not happy, not excited about what I was doing. And um, he invited me to come out and start scouting you know, for his high school team. And my old high school coach was actually retired from the city of Nashville and went out in the county and was working and, and said, hey, why don't you uh, scout for us? So I went out before I went to my, my night job and scouted. And, you know, when you get a compliment, sometimes it, it, it kind of opens your eyes and drives you, right? And my high school coach, who never gave me a compliment as a player, said, uh, you did a really good job with that. You ever thought about coaching? I'm like, no, I ain't coaching. I got to go back to school. I got to get a teaching degree. I got to do this. I got to do that. Single, no wife in sight. Um, and my brother's like, you got to go to college. So I um, ended up, my college roommate got my first uh, graduate assistant job for me at a little school called Cumberland University in Lebanon, Tennessee. And a little NAI school. Uh, went there. The first day I walked in the door, I was a wide receivers coach. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But we were wing T, so all I had to do is teach how to stock block and run a, uh, a post every now and then. The next day I walked into the office, I was a D-line coach. I was like, okay, this is better. You know, I'm a GA, so, it, you know, my page room board tuition and books, right? The third day I walked in, he goes, you're the O-line coach. All right, I'm where I want to be. And <laughs> – you know, uh, Coach Herschel Moore is his name. He, he's now passed on. Uh, he had retired twice, and this was his third uh, job, first college job, but he had been there a couple of years. Ran the wing tee, probably well-known throughout the South as a wing tee guru. In the South, he's probably the guy that innovated the jet sweep. And so worked with him for three years, two years as his line coach, as my last year as his offensive coordinator. Uh my life, I got my degree, my master's degree in human relations management. Uh, met my wife there. It was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she was the uh, dean of, well, not the dean of students. She was a registrar. Um, and so uh, coached and, and became the, for them to pay me, I had to become the director of housing, which if they, you know, I mean, we had football dorms back in the day, and, and I know Brett knows. O'Donnell yeah. Hall was no, uh, no, no Donald, yeah. quiet place, and the Rollins Hall at Austin P was no quiet place. So they put the, uh, you know, the wolf in charge of the hen house, so to speak. And, uh, and so it was an interesting experience. I got to help them uh, plan a new dorm and all this, that, and the other. But, you know, I had. I had a salary and, and insurance. So, you know, I was good. And uh, lo and behold, I come to a clinic in Cumberland Gap, Tennessee, to uh, to visit with, uh, to do a clinic with Tuck Willem, who was a quarterback on the 82 National Championship team here at EKU, and he was the head coach at Union College at that time. 
and uh, took one of my head coaches to speak, and he spoke. And I was a line coach, so I went with him and all this. I got to meet Leon Hart, Dean Hood at that time, Doug Carter, uh, and Coach Kidd were all at that clinic. And we're just sitting around talking, and they go, hey, you know, we got a tight end job open that, you know, you're the dorm coach, but you're – you work housing to noon and then football the rest of the day. Would you be, and you get a salary and you get benefits and you get all this? Would you be interested? Heck yeah, it would be. You know, it's a bit, it's EKU, you know, blah, 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 you know. And uh, so I apply. Lo and behold, I interview with Dean Crockett here and uh, she's retired now, but Dean Crockett's a great lady. She yeah. hired me and then I was here for six years. So I ran the, I ran O'Donnell for two. Brought my wife to her first home, which was a two-bedroom cinder block, straight down the line um, <laughs> apartment in a football dorm. And she I, had, I know well, that very well. Oh, then, it's Tuck used to live. Tuck was my GA, Tuck was my dorm director. And I lived when you go through those doors, my dorm was the first one by the right. I know exactly what you're talking about then. So, you know, the, the strategic part was I'd been there a year. Oh, so I learned where how to put all the quiet guys above me so my wife wouldn't have any issues. And um, and so, you know, we, we lived there for two years. They tore the building down, which is, you know, just bad. It was sad for a lot of players. And uh, so then I moved into married housing. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up uh, getting pregnant and and – my contract was up, so I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had accepted a job at Tennessee State for about two weeks, and then Coach called me, and I was nobody had moved yet, and said, hey, Coach Carter's going to take the Southern job. Doug Carter, do you want to be the line coach? And I was like, heck yeah. So I came back, and, I mean, it was a pay cut and everything, but I didn't care. I wanted to come back. And uh, I was Coach Kidd's line coach the last three years of his career. And uh, and then uh, this speaks to the man of Coach Kid. We were having Eastern and Western Kentucky were a huge rivals back then. I mean, huge rivals called the Battle of the Bluegrass, probably bigger in Kentucky and Louisville at that time. And because they hadn't really played in a long time. And so um, Jack Harbaugh was a head coach at WKU and just won a national championship in 02 when coach retired. So we're having a big deal for Coach, big retirement dinner, big thing on campus, and who's 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 of, of this and that were there, and, and J- Jack and Jackie Harbaugh were uh, were invited. Well, Coach found out they were coming. So in the last, the day before that, now you know Brett knows Coach, and he's you know, I mean, he doesn't worry about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not involved in who's sitting where and who's speaking and all. He don't care about all that. But on that day, I'll never forget, and it, you know, not that he needed to do that for me to show me what kind of man he was, but, you know, him and Jack Harbaugh don't, didn't get along. I mean, they didn't like each other. And Jack, he put Jack and Jackie and me and my wife, who didn't belong at that table, at the head table, so I could – because I was interviewing with Jack Harbaugh in about four days. So – and he specifically put it – Coach Kidd, uh, Sue, my wife, Jackie, Jack, and then me. So the wives could get to know my wife, and Coach Harbaugh could get to know me. And lo and behold, I go down to interview. I get the job. Now, for Coach to help one of his old assistants get a job at Western, 
says a whole lot. And, uh, and so I went down there, um, getting, you know, all this, that, and the other, and get everything squared away. I report down there for in about a month later, and Jack Harbaugh retires. <laughs> well, you don't have no contract. You don't have anything. So I'm like scrambling, you know, to find a job. Now it's March, you know. Well, one of their assistants, David Ellison, got the job. Uh, had to go back down and interview with David, but I knew David from recruiting. And Jack, I think Coach Harbaugh really stressed it, and Willie Taggart really stressed that they needed to hire me. And they ended up hiring me, and, and I went to Western for 10 years. So my first three jobs, I was three years, six years, and 10 years. So I'm 19, 19 years into this thing and moved twice, you know, or cities twice. Um, I had my son down there, so I've got a 22-year-old daughter, Madison. I've got a 17-year-old son right now who's uh, going to be a junior in high school. And then my wife is Jennifer, and we've been married uh, 24 years. So, um, you know, we, we go there. I stayed through Elson and then Taggart. And then when Taggart left, we went to South Florida. Um, go to South Florida. for and I worked my way up to offensive coordinator and all that there. Uh, go to South Florida with Willie. Uh, first year there, walk in the door, watch spring ball. No, we have no quarterback. B.J. Daniels, who played in the league for a long time, you know, for four or five years, um, is coaching now, was walking out the door. You know, I, I watch us play in spring, and I'm like, my wife's like, she hadn't moved yet. She's like, we're going to buy? I said, no, we're renting. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I ain't buying a house down here. She goes, why not? I said, honey, I don't, I, I don't mean this kiddingly either I said I don't know if we're good enough to win a game and if we and if we're not I'm gonna be fired now you know that wasn't my mindset but you know I'm I'm, I'm just being honest we, we don't have a quarterback and we're playing in the big east back when or it's the a first year of the AAC when Miami Louisville with uh uh Charlie Strong when he had his best year with Teddy Bridgewater you know all we're playing all these dudes and I'm sitting out there looking like this ain't the South Florida that you've seen on TV. I mean, it's, you know, Skip Holtz had just left. Nothing against Skip. I don't mean it. He just won the USFL deal. Just wasn't there. They had a four-year starter at quarterback walk out the door, so nobody played. And uh, sure enough, that's what happened. We won two, we won two games. And, um, and, you know, I was let go, which, you know, me and Willie were friends. And that teaches you a lot about the business of coaching. Um there's the friend side and there's the coaching side. And, you know, I can go into that and, and you know, mental health is something that I think is, is real and big. Um, and so everybody handles it differently. I handled it like for about three months. I mean, luckily I was on contract, so I didn't have to worry about paying for nothing or anything like that. Um, I was, uh, you know, really pissed. Um, hurt, all the things you can d say, you know. Here's here's a guy that's your friend, and he's got to make that decision, and he makes it after one year. And you, there's other factors, but none of that matters. And I remember waking up one morning and looking at my wife, and she said something, and I was like, no, honey, the only person that is worried about me getting fired right now today is me. That's the only person, you and I. That's it. 
So we got to quit feeling sorry for ourselves. We got to quit being mad for people at people. We got to quit doing all that. And we got to go out and we got to get a damn job and we got to go to work. And or I do. And so that's when I went to New Mexico State for uh, for uh, Doug Martin, who was out there. And it was funny because Doug calls me and says, uh, you know, I've been recommended. You've been recommended to me by this guy, my Greg Brandon, who everybody might remember was Urban Meyer's first ever OC. Um, er, Greg was a head coach at Bowling Green State, was now the uh, OC at New Mexico State. Well, Greg had his guy. So they hired his guy. So I was content on redshirt. You know, it's what we call it in the business. When you don't have a job, you redshirt. Because my contract was going to take me through and I was going to be okay. And uh, it was Memorial Day weekend. They called back up. Something happened to the coach that they'd hired. And the head coach like, I'm hiring you. Do you want the job? And you don't really want a redshirt after getting fired, but you don't want to take a bad job. Uh, so I talked to my wife. Uh, we decided to make home base back in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So my daughter was starting high school where she could go to high school for four years somewhere. Um, so I get in the car and get in a plane, whatever, and go to uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico. It was really a great, I mean, it was a terrible year. We were two and 10, uh, but it was a great year. So I'm back to back. I go from being really good. One of the, you know, we beat Kentucky at Western and all this stuff, really good coach. To two years in a row, two and ten, I'm the worst coach that ever walked the earth, and um, and so uh, I go out there, and um, you know, I, it was good for me, you know, to to get back in it and work. I worked with some really good kids out there. I really liked our staff. You know, it's a tough situation out there, um, and I know Dean Hood, who was the head coach here. We'd worked together back for Coach Kid in '97 and '98, and he called me up and said, you know, I'm looking for a deep coordinator. And I'm like, and it, it was actually Mike Dietzel who's on my staff. And uh, I said, yeah, Mike, this, that, and the other. Well, Mike got offered another job and took it. And so he called back, what about this guy? And I said, well, why don't you call the defense and hire me? <laughs> You'd do that? I said, well, we got to do this, this, and that, and that. And next thing I know, two days after, day after, um, Signing day in 2015, uh, I'm in a U-Haul driving across the country, coming sliding back into Bowling Green to drop my stuff off to get ready to come up here and work for Dean. Work for Dean. Um, we went into overtime with the University of Kentucky. Should have beat them. Could have beat them. That's not a good word. Could have beat them. We should never, you know, I mean, at that time, we should have never had a chance to beat them. But we could have beat them. Mark, I worked for Mark Stoops for two years. So Mark told me one time, he says, I probably would have been walking out the door if y'all would have done that and uh, lost on an overtime on a Hail Mary type deal. Um, Dean ends up losing his job. Uh, so I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm, I'm out searching, you know, just like everybody. End up at the University of Tennessee through some really good friends. Um, and uh, worked there. That's where, you know, recruited some some good people there. I was involved in that, became the offensive line coach year two. Um, we ended up getting fired. Bush gets fired there. We come back and, uh, and go to uh, – I got a great contract there, so I got some time. I'm, I'm really going to redshirt this time unless somebody really calls me that I really want to work with. And uh, Mark Stoops and I got hooked up, and we kind of knew each other, but we didn't know each other. And 
And Mark was gracious enough to say, Hey, you know, I can hire you in a quality control role. Would you want to do that? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, it's here in the state. I can get an apartment up in Lexington be back and forth my daughter's senior year. I mean, everything'd be great. Everything's great. Perfect. So you got to know Mark. Mark communicates really well on issues that, you know, he's worried about. And so this was in March and he doesn't communicate to his staff that I'm coming in. And so the fast forward to you do all this paperwork. I do that in July. Still hadn't really told anybody. (laughs) Calls me up, you know, in late July and says, hey, it's time for you to come on up. I said, all right, I'll come up. You know, and Mark was great. He's like, listen, you won't have this time again to spend with your daughter and your son. Take this time. You need it. I'm like, thank you. You know, and so I decided to to volunteer because it helps out. I think I'm past the statute of limitations. It helps out. You know, I didn't want to do all this tax stuff with, you know, my contract and how much they were paying me and all that. This and so I said, hey, I'll just volunteer. I don't my wife's got insurance. I'm good. And so the day I get there that morning, Mark finds out that um, Josh Pascal, who was a great player for him, just got drafted this year. I think in the third round. Great kid. I mean, phenomenal kid had melanoma and found a spot on it, you know, and Gabe and Jim Madalino, um, the two trainers there found that spot, looked suspicious, had him checked out and it's cancer. Um, found out that morning. So as he's walking back to the office, the O-line coach who I've known since he was in a GA at Kentucky, John Slarman calls him into the office and says, Hey, I got lung, liver, and stomach cancer. Oh. Well, they go to the staff meeting and tell the, you know, tell the staff. And, you know, John's like, they call him the great American. John's like, everybody's, you know, he's Mr. Kentucky. They love him. Um, you know, Josh is the best, the best, one of the best persons on the team. And then a little while later, you know, Mark introduces me as the <laughs> – a new quality control coach who was just at Tennessee as the O-line coach. So you can imagine how that went over, not very well, uh, with the with the assistants. Now, it worked out fine. And it might have been – it might have saved – that. those two years probably did save my career. And what I mean by that is nothing against anybody I worked for, but I've been bouncing, you know, 19 years in one spot, and then you bounce, 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 bounce. You know, you're like a, you're like a rubber ball going down the road. And you start questioning everything. You start wondering. You start – and I sit there and, and got with that group of men on that staff, and they embraced me. John embraced me. It was just an unbelievable experience. We went 10 games the first year, so that was awesome. You know, the next year we went nine games. Um, and then I got a phone call um, if I would be interested in the EKU job. And – there's no question I was interested. Um, EKU has always been a great place for me. I always loved it. I've always had admiration for it. Um, and uh, so uh, we started the process through that and uh, ended up getting the job and, you know, was very proud, very happy. You know, Mark was very gracious and and everybody was awesome. You know, we're here we are, you know, we're taking over a program. We got to, 
bring back some traditions and some some things. Nothing against the staff that was previous to me. I've got no hard feelings. Matter of fact, as Mark was coming out of EKU, I was going into Tennessee. Um, but this is a special place that that has traditions and has things that you have to understand uh, because of the success that Coach Kidd and all the players had and all the assistants had back in the day. And so as I'm starting to, you know, my wheels are turning, I'm rolling, I'm rolling, I'm rolling. We go to spring break, right? And then, boom, spring ball is going to start. COVID hits. I'm like, I waited 20-some-odd years to be a head coach, and we got a pandemic. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know what a pandemic is. I don't know how to spell it. I don't know anything about what we're fixing to do. I have no clue. All they've told me is nobody can come to work, which, I, I mean, I hadn't had a sick day my whole career. I missed one game my whole career, and that's when my father-in-law passed away, and they put the funeral on Saturday. That's the only thing I've ever missed in my life in, in working. And, and I'm like, what are we doing? What is COVID? What is this 19 thing? You know, it, what is it? And so I hadn't moved here. I still have my home in Bowling Green. So I got to go to Bowling Green and work out of my office there in my house. I'm trying to hire staff. I'm trying to get to know these players. Um, that was probably the most unique, I won't say best thing, but it, it taught every coach that you can't control every little thing, that you're going to have to let some things go. So me and my strength coach, Billy Brown, we, uh, we bought all these rubber bands, and we divided up the, the anybody within three hours of Bowling Green, anybody within three hours of Richmond, because he was already here. So Cincinnati, all that area. I go Nashville, western part of the state, Louisville. And we take these two different types of bands to our players to work out with. And he sends them videos every day on how to use these bands to work out. Because we don't know. We don't get spring ball. We don't get nothing. So we're trying to build our roster. Well, then they allow all these kids to opt out. We had tons of opt outs, um, which depletes your roster. We go back mid, I want to say it was mid-July, mid excuse me, and we start practicing, and nobody knows if we're playing. Big Ten says they're not playing, yada, 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 right? Well, I knew one thing. I mean, I'm not – I don't claim to be a smart guy at all, all right? I think I got some street sense, but I don't think I got, you know, the book sense sometimes. Well, I picked up the phone. I've got, you know – Butch is down at Alabama and a couple other buddies. I got Mark over here. And then I got Muschamp over at South Carolina that, you know, me and Will worked here together at Eastern as assistants. So I'm calling those three places because I know one thing. If the SEC's playing, then anybody can play. And if the SEC plays, everybody will play. So I know I can call Kentucky and find out what our state's going to do. So I get all the information, understand where we're at. Well, David McFadden, our president, Matt Rohn, our AD, and Luis Diaz at that time was our chairman of the board. Um, they all came in my office and said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to play football. I said, if the SEC can play, I don't understand why we can't play. And I said, I get it. They're going to have more of this, more of that, and all that. I get that. But, you know. 
if it's safe for them, they're not, nobody knows enough about this that they're doing some magical trick. It's whether or not you, you test. Our administration stepped up and tested. We played our first year. We had no conference schedule. We played four division ones. Uh, we just threw a schedule together to play football. We had a lot of guys opt out for a lot of different reasons. And I never questioned why they opted out. You know, I have my, my feelings sometimes. And, you know, I feel like some of these, some guys, you know, we had one guy that was going to be a brain surgeon. And he is going to be. And so he didn't want to back up a, and do a sixth year because I was going to throw off his track. I get that. I understand that. We had one guy that had two kids at home and he didn't want to potentially get it and go home because he didn't know where he was at. I get that. I think some people that found a way, you know, probably football wasn't their thing and they had a chance to opt out. And I'm not, you know, going to sit here and say that's scientific proof, but it is what it is. Sometimes you got gut feelings and we all do. And I don't, I don't begrudge them at all. So we're scrambling trying to put a roster together just in a schedule and figuring out what we're doing. We're having stuff shoved up our nose every day. And, and, you know, I remember, you know, we get to a Thursday testing and three, four, you know, three, four really critical players are deemed. They're done, you know, and you're just like, okay, well, we got to go play. You know, this team from, from Texas is coming in here. We got to play them. So we went through that and uh, got through that okay. We, you know, our administration created a bowl game. We had a bowl game. Um, we won the bowl game. We gave the kids rings and all that. And, you know, some people say, well, that's not really a, a championship ring. Well, it's not. It's a championship ring of COVID because we stood up and played uh, when the rest of our league and, and division would not do that. And what we found out was on the back end last year, you know, uh, which was 2021 season, those guys that played in the spring and then had to go right into spring and summer training and, and then training camp and then play another 11 to, to 14 game season, they were wore out. Just like I thought they would. I thought mentally these kids couldn't handle it. I didn't, physically, I knew they couldn't. I mean, the NFL doesn't do that. And so how can 18 to 21 year olds do that? And, and mentally be okay, physically be okay. Um, and, you know, we're not funded like SEC schools, so we don't have, you know, the – what is it, the, the chambers that you get in that are real cold, and we don't have all that stuff, you know. So how are they going to recover? Those are things that I couldn't understand, so I wanted to play in the fall. And I think that's what helped us turn the corner a little bit is we had a normal winter workout, we had a normal spring workout, summer workout, and then went to training camp and played last fall. And we still weren't where we need to be, but it, we turned it around, I think, uh, for last year. And uh, and so now we're in the second full year of our process and joined a new conference, all that. So that's kind of my path in coaching, my journey. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, obviously, for 20-some-odd years I've been doing I don't even know, 20-whatever-it-is years I've been doing it. Uh, I never felt like I go to work. Uh, there's some days that it was miserable. Yeah, you know, Sundays after a loss, you're miserable. You you know, you don't want to talk to nobody. You don't want to see nobody. You just want to go get in a dark room, especially when you're a line coach because it's it's always your fault. And, uh, and that's fine. That's why, we, you know, it is. And then if you're the line coach and the coordinator, it's doubly your fault if you didn't score any points. And, you know, but 
it, it's it's been a great profession for us, for my family. My my wife does an incredible job raising the kids. You know, I just come in and kiss them on the cheek and, and hang out with them whenever I can. But uh, uh, now that I'm the head coach, I get a little more time doing that. But uh, not much, but a little more. And I try to th- think of all the things that, you know, I thought could be different as a, an assistant that were fair. You know, sometimes you think this and then you get in a leadership role and you realize, man, it's, it's, and that's even as a coordinator. It's really, I understand why he did that now. I understand why we had to go through that script one last time. Because if you call, you know, if, if you say wristband 32, you know, flip it and two words are wrong or misspelled, those kids are going to screw it up and it could cost you a ball game. But when you're the old line coach, you're like, can you? Can we, can we not type? Can we not get that right? <laughs> you know, but it's over and over and over again that you learn as you move forward. So uh, I really enjoy my time uh, here so far at EKU. And, and uh, it's just such a special place for me and for my family. My daughter was born here, um, you know, and uh, really enjoy being the head coach, but also enjoy just being in these young men's life. And, you know, there's a there's a new problem every day when you're in this job. And you really, like I said, COVID really taught you to learn how to problem solve and think outside the box and understand um, because as coaches, we get into a boom, 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 and understand that it ain't always like that for everybody. You know, not everybody's like you, not everybody's like, you know, who you want them to be like. And so you have to work through all that. And all the mental health issues we have, all the, you know, different things that we have going on, it just really teaches you a lot. And you continue to learn, and it sharpens you as a coach and sharpens you as a person. So I know I've done a lot of talking, but that's kind of where the, the journey has taken it. That's a hell of a CV. I, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's a book, a, a CV book. By the yeah. way, uh, just FYI, Mark Stoops thinks that you here's, – here's his quote, just FYI. He's one of the brightest football minds in the game and a great recruiter. So don't ever talk down about yourself because he says you're bright. <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate <laughs> Mark saying that. We, it's right there. It's right there. He, I'm telling you, he is such a – that whole family is good people. And, uh, and that's not – you know, I love – Butch Jones is one of my best friends and – me and Willie talk all the time now, and, and David Elson's been good to me. Obviously, Coach, uh, you know, I see Coach two or three times a month. You know, I mean, Coach is 90 years old now, so, you know, he's, he, he still wants to come out to practice. He still calls me. He called me up on vacation and told me, why are you on vacation? You can't win ball games on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> like, Coach, I need one week. I just need one. <laughs> right here. Coach, give some uh, a little – clarity on who coach kid is and what he's accomplished just a little bit because you're saying coach well coach kid you know coaches when I came here I, uh you know it was an honor for me to come here I watched uh, the 82 team uh beat my brother's uh Austin P team and I, I was that's when I first I was in I think the ninth grade then I think that's when I first started realizing who EKU was and and who Roy Kidd was and, and coach is Roy Kidd you know he's won um, you know, a ton, over 300 games. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's in the Kentucky Hall of Fame. He's in the EKU Hall of Fame. He's He's been the AFCA, American Football Coaches Association, president. Um, he's just a really, 
really successful. At one time, he was a second all-time winningest coach to Eddie Robinson. And um, now some others have passed, and but he's in the top five or six. And won two national championships, played for four, you know, the OVC's coaching awards named after him. And so he's just uh, – he was a head coach here for 40 years, over 40 years. And uh, he took a chance on me, hired me. Um, and the best thing about – the, you know, I don't know if you're a believer or not, but God puts you – I believe God puts you in positions to be influenced. And, you know, I really believe I got – I was that housing director and all that was set up so I could be influenced by Coach Kidd. Uh, because at that time in his career, um, he was probably looking for a younger coach to mentor. He probably didn't realize that, but he probably enjoyed having a young coach that was full of, you know, piss and vinegar and fire and ready to go and thought he knew everything and could teach him things along the way. And then I had mentors like Doug Carter, Jim Tanera, you know, Joe Blankenship was always around. I never really worked with Joe, but Joe was always around. Teddy Taylor. I mean, the list goes on. Don Lanholm was hired the same year I was. John Revere was hired the same year I was. And, you know, it just to be involved. And then, uh, you know, we bring in uh, when Dean, Dean Hood is the other one, you know, multiple times with Dean. And coach mentored all those guys and just ran a program the way it was supposed to be. Taught me some great lessons. I did. I had to go be a young coach to learn. But the one thing he always told me, you know, was, you know, players win games. Don't worry about all the other stuff as much as you worry about players. And he goes, you got to recruit, but you also got to make sure you take care of the players you got. I didn't really understand that. You know, I listened to it and heard it, but it really didn't register with me until I worked for a guy that he, he thought he knew what players meant too, but He'd, you know, as soon as a player did something a little bit wrong, boom, they were gone. Next thing you know, you look around and all the good players are gone and all the players that play like I did are sitting around because they did what they were supposed to do. And you're like, hang on, not everybody does it the same way and you got to mentor them too. It's more than just X and O, do what I say. And you got to build relationships with people. And you saw that when you came here through all his assistants and then coach. And how he poured into me. So, Coach Kidd is EKU football. I think, you know, no disrespect to anybody who went to school here, but Coach Kidd is EKU. I mean, you know, um, he poured his life into this program. Could have went and played for Bear Bryant at UK. Uh, but he wanted to play baseball. And so he came here and, and played baseball um, and football and was a little All-American quarterback and all that stuff. And so not only was he a great coach, but he's a great player. And on top of that, his wife, Miss Sue uh, Kidd, um, she mentored my wife. Always stayed in touch. When I'm at Western, and, you know, a lot of EKU fans don't like this, but we played six times, and I lost once. Coach was at every game. Sue was at every game. And after every game, win or lose, they came and saw me and, and my wife, if my wife was there, which a couple times she wasn't because babies. But uh, uh, and either had you know, hey, you did you know, great job, or or you know, hey, you're right there. You know, we lost on last second play, so it is what it is. Um, he's just such a good person, right? you know. And he he was so good to me. Um, 
He'd always ask me, hey, you need me to make a phone call. You need me to do this. And like I said, the story of Jack Harbaugh and how he hired me um, is true. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't. He didn't owe me nothing. And he, he took great care of me and my wife. And I'll never forget that. And so I I take it as a personal responsibility to take care of him, his program. Um, You know, I don't know if I'll ever match anything he does um, or did, excuse me, but, you know, that's my goal. Not to match. I I won't live long enough to match what he did, but, but to put it where he's proud. That's more important than wins and losses to me. Kind of, kind of drill down. What was his philosophy? What is your philosophy? You know, what, what, what can all the people listening to this podcast learn about? And, and Brent, I want you to weigh in a little bit as well. You know, what, what, what life lessons do we learn from Coach Kidd and and Coach Wells and 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 you know what 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 they had to teach young young athletes? I think you know. Coach and it, coach was always about being a you know being a good good citizen a good student and a good player, and that resonates with you because I came from a university that we had new coaches every other week, and it was never about that. Um, my philosophy is a you know goals are important. Our goal is to win a championships. I mean that's if you're not why are you playing if you're not you know, goal is to win, right? I get all that. But I think goals um, are important, but, you know, you can't let the outcome of the goals be a distraction. I think a daily process is what is required to be successful. So we have three core values, okay? And it's passion, purpose, and pride. And matter of pride is a big saying around here. And, um, you know, Coach said that after a national championship game. Can you repeat? Well, we, we can, but it'll be, a, it'll be a matter of pride if we do. You know, what's the secret? It'll be a matter of pride. Well, passion to me in how we define it here is to love and serve each other. Because I don't think it, you know, passion to me is that. If I, I have a passion for this place, so I try to love it and serve it as much as I can. Okay, I have a passion for our players because without them, we're nothing. And as you get to know them through recruiting, as you get to know them through their lives and all the things that come in and out of life, everybody's different. Everybody's got all the problems. Well, you know, they need love. Some of them need to know that, you know, we do love and we do care about them. Some of them need that tough love. Like, you know, hey. You've got to do this, you know, and you've got to do it in this order, and this is why. So loving, you know, when I say love and serve, it's not like, oh, everything's, you know, pixie dust and all that here. It's not. But they, my job is to teach them that there's all different types of love and that they got to love each other, and they also have to serve each other. And sometimes serving each other means calling out your brother when he's cheating on his reps. But also means when he, when you know he's got a hard deal going on in his life, that you go pull him over in the dorm or go to his apartment and talk to him and be there for him. That doesn't mean you make stupid decisions together, 
but that's our first core value. Our second core value is is uh, purpose. And to me, that we define that as consistency and performance with a championship mindset. Okay, so I don't need coaches, administrators, myself, players. I don't need them to be like this in their emotions because you make terrible decisions. You make these decisions when you're high and you make these decisions when you're low. And really, if you just go right like that and on a level plane, you're going to make probably good educated decisions for the most part. And you're going to be productive. I had the championship mindset piece down there because every time that you go to work, every time that you wake up, you know, I learned this from Coach Harbaugh, there's two people talking to you. One telling you to, to be soft. We called him Freddie Soft. And one telling you not to be soft and, and to make the right decisions and to get up and go to class and get up and go to treatment and get up and go to recovery and get up to go to weights and get up to go to study table and get up to, you know, go watch film and get, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff these guys got to do. And this guy over here is going to say, man, just sleep in. You don't need to go to breakfast check. You don't need that nutrition. Man, stay out till midnight or 1 o'clock. You don't need eight hours of sleep. And so I need consistent consistency. I need consistency in our schedule. I think, it, you know, I've been around coaches that, you know, one year, one practice, you're here, one practice, you're there, one practice, da, 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 da. and that works for them, but it doesn't for, for the majority because people want to know what they got to do. They want to plan. And when the plan gets blown up, they don't like it. Well, don't blow up the little stuff. I mean, sometimes you got to blow it up because it ain't working, right? But if it's if it's working, let it roll. And and just in, the championship mindset part of it is improve that. That doesn't mean just because we want to be here that we can't improve and still be here. And so that's our second um, core value. And then our third is pride. And everybody says it nowadays, but be the best version of you. I don't need the best version of, of Tom Brady. I don't need the best version of Khalil Mack, whoever. I don't need it. I need the best version of you consistently. Consistently. And that's the hardest part. And so, you know, we try to tell them. We do uh, evaluations twice a year on them, and we try to tell them this is – what we think is great. This is what we think needs improvement. And um, this is where we need to go with it. And then I get a big book and I read all of them. So I learn, you know, I used to just have to learn one room, right? Or one side of the ball. Now I got to learn everybody. And uh, and so those are our three core values. I, I don't try to make it hard. I don't change them every week. I don't change my messaging every week. I don't have themes of the year. Not saying that's right. That's just not me. That's a lot to remember. This kid's got a lot to remember. Let's let's keep the focus to focus. Um, and then our team rules are simple. You know, it's do right. You've all been raised. You know what do right means. Whether you've been raised by your grandmother, you had no mother. I mean, you had a mother and father, but you had not, none in your life. Or whether you had two great parents like I did uh, that were there, you know, until my father passed away and my mother's 90. And, uh, you know, in great family life. You know, you, you know what right is. If you got to college on a scholarship, you know what right is. Do right. Uh, my mom used to tell me this every time I walked out the door because I was the youngest of three. I got an older brother, um, 62 years old, and I got a sister. Um, but I was 
the youngest. So I was a little wired different. And, uh, and so every time I walk out the door, especially once I got about 16 years old, it was remember who you are and who you represent. Every I can hear it today. College, when you you know you you didn't have cell phones, you call. Hey, mom, how you doing? Remember who you are and who you represent. I love you. Boom. Last name. So that's what I tell our team. Remember who you are and who you, you represent. Your family. You may represent your son, your daughter, uh, your whoever you you know, whatever coach got you here. You know, and then obviously you represent EKU and EKU football. You know, another one. Our fourth, third rule is be where you. Be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be. And that covers a lot of ground. And I got to remind them that's how it covers. Don't come to a meeting walking in the door as the clock strikes the time. Don't come in there without your notebook and your pencil, ready to take notes and understand. And I know nowadays they got cell phones, but I tell them don't have your cell phone out because then the next thing you know, when the meeting goes over 20 minutes, you're going to be looking at Twitter, you're looking at Instagram or Snap, whatever, and, and all that. So be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be. And then the golden rule is the last one. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, do you like it when you screw up, somebody scream at you all the time? You may like that. Okay, then that's fine. If that motivates you, but that may not motivate him. So you got to think about those things. You got to think about in the dorm. Hey, how about when we're at the cafeteria and you don't want to pick up that tray and just take it back to the belt? Come on. What if that was your mama doing that or your aunt or your grandma? I mean, just treat people the way you want to be treated. Now, do we always do that? No, none of us do. I don't, you know, I'm sure y'all don't, uh, other people don't, but you got to try to. I, I, I get it. Scott does. You know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, don't bring, don't bring me into that. Uh, it's like, I mean, I, 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 come on, man. the I'm rest of us sitting here. The rest of us are guilty of sin, and so uh, so we. I'm not saying a word. Yeah, yeah come on, man. Thank every now and then. I made one today on our freshman tailback when he didn't catch a ball, and he goes off oh. like, like, dang it! I'm like, man, oh, they, that clapping just drives me insane. Make the play. That's your job. Make the play. You know, I mean, it's not like you're getting hit. We're in, you know, nothing. <laughs> We're in shorts. We're in pajamas out here. Catch the ball, you know, and, and he will. He's a good player. But, you know, it's it's treat other people the way you want to be treated. If you go by those rules, then I don't have to remember a bunch of rules. And, you know, you know, everybody's different nowadays. Everybody's brought up different. Um, but we all got to bind a common goal. And so that's our common goal. And, you know, I, I, I talk about cha championships probably three or four times a year. If they came here and if our coaches and myself recruited them and they don't want to win a championship, then, then we need to reevaluate how we're recruiting. And, you know, and nowadays, I mean, they need to go in the portal. I'll just tell them, go in the portal. If you don't want to win, get out of here. I don't – I mean, don't get me wrong. You may be a great player and I need you. But – you're going to not be where I want you to – you're not going to have rule number three, be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be. At some point, it's going to cost us. If winning's not the most important thing when you get on that field, then I, I shouldn't have to talk about that. What we got to talk about is being consistent, being the best version of yourself, helping your brother out. Hey, man, you know, your backup. Well, you know, I've had people say, well, I don't want to help him because he may take my job. 
Well, then you're not very confident. You right there told me you're not confident. Right? I mean, I get it. I get it. We're all in competition, but, you know, we got to help it. We're all in this thing to, to do this, hold up and put these things on. That's what we're here for. And so that's our philosophy. Um, it wasn't developed overnight, to be honest with you. It's something I had to learn through all those years of the different coaches that influenced me. Um, it's amazing how, how Coach Moore and uh, my first coach, who's a Hall of Famer, high school coach, who's, like I said, passed on, and, and Coach Kidd are alike in a lot of their values and had Hall of Fame careers. And it's kind of funny how some other guys weren't like that, and you, you learn that. And uh, you, But that doesn't mean they didn't have great things that you need to do. It's pick and choose, but it all comes down to players to me. You know, and once we get it to where our players are coaching each other and driving each other, if we've got the right players, then we'll have a chance to win a lot of ball games. How are you going to be next year? I think we've got a chance. I really do. We've got a young man from right around the corner from Knoxville there, um, um, Colefield, named Parker McKinney, who's going to be our third year in his starting quarterback. Um, you know, I, people want me to describe Parker. Scouts ask me all the time, describe him. I'm saying he's the guy that now, you know, used to everybody play backyard football, right? Got in the backyard and you played and you just made crap up, right? I said, I guarantee you Parker's a guy that all summer or half the summer and all fall, even though he's playing football, played backyard football. Then he went in there and hooped it up until hoop season was over. And then he went in there and baseballed it up until baseball was over. And so he just makes plays for us. And sometimes he don't look as pretty as he needs to look to do it. He's got strong arm. He's got a great mind. He can run. Um, we got to keep him healthy. Um, we picked up some key transfers. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about our secondary a little bit. Uh, we lost some key, key guys there, a couple to the portal, a couple to graduation. Um, so I think we've replaced it with some good talent, uh, but I hadn't seen him play yet. <laughs> So I got to see him play. Number two, I, recruit, number two recruiting class in the country, correct? Right, right. That's uh, that's all. Yes, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I commend our coaches on uh, getting out and turning rocks over. And you know, in this portal world, it's hard. Um, I'm really pleased with where we're at. I think we can develop our young guys and bring them along. I think we've got some young guys bring along. We did some things to you know, uh, we got camp coming up August 1st, and so I'm looking forward to just seeing these guys. I, I tell you, one thing I can say is we'll walk off the bus and we'll look like it, you know, and now we just got to play like it. <laughs> How hard is it to recruit, you know, in this environment? Oh, gosh. it's Coach, also talk about when I talked to you before, talk also about that, but also talk about re-recruiting your own players too. Well, you got to do both. And so, you know, you're constantly – you don't know who's hitting your players, okay? Now, I can sit here and be politically correct, or I can sit here and tell the truth. There's coaches that are recruiting your players as we speak because August the 1st, they can transfer without repercussion. So they DM them. They got, you know, 15 phones, and I've been guilty of that. I know all that, okay? Um. So you have to recruit your players. You have to make them understand their plan, how you're going to represent their brand, how you're going to represent 
you know, everything that they need. But you got to be honest with them because you can't bullcrap them because as soon as it's wrong, it's over. And so you try to help them in any way you can. And then in the process of doing that, you've got to anticipate who might leave and who might not and, and then try to manage your roster that way. And that's the hardest part is because if, you know, we had the defensive player of the year in our conference walk in three days before the spring game and say, Coach, I'm transferring. What? Okay. Why? Bah, 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 bah. I can't change some of that. I know. Okay. I mean, it's kind of like breaking up with your girlfriend, right? Once you say it, it probably ain't a great chance to get him back. So now I can't replace him who has been here three years with a freshman because he's going to make mistakes that this guy made in 2020. You know, he played receiver. We moved him to DB. We teach him how to play. Never played DB in his life. We get him going that away. And then, you know, he makes all-conference and makes player of the year, and poof, he's gone. Well, that's fine. It happens in the NFL all the time. There's rules and all that. I get it. Uh, I'm not going to begrudge him at all. I mean, it's his life. It's not my life. So you have to go out to the portal and figure that out. And that's what I'm really disappointed in because I, I was telling Brett this. EKU has 40-plus years of players that were drawn to one man. And, and really the assistants, too, because a lot of them retired from here. I mean, so 30 years here as an assistant. And so there's such a special bond amongst the players here that it's, it's really unique. I mean, you got it, and, and I'm not comparing us to Alabama, but you got it at Alabama. You got it at, you know, and it's different at Alabama because you had Coach Bryant, now you got Coach Saban, had Coach Stallings in there. You know, there's a, I mean, there's a special bond there. Well, there's, you know, Penn State had it with Joe Paterno. The list goes on. I know that's not popular to say now, but, it, you know, it is what it is. Well, like but, when I played, when I played, I had the same coaches the whole time for four years, four and a half years in a row. Right, you know, and, to add to that, to add to that, you know, we were drawn to Coach Kidd in a matter of pride, but we policed ourselves. There was years, I mean, there was years of them winning eighty-two to eighty-four. They were in four national championship games in a row. I come in at eighty-six. I come in with my freshman year, my redshirt freshman year. Eight guys on that team get drafted in the NFL. Right. So we, you know, for us. We, for someone like me in my class, you want to do whatever you can to belong. And there was a, such a level that you had to get to. You start questioning, can I play football again? Because it's different in high school. Everyone's a star in high school. Then they come to EKU. And holy shit, it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't music playing loud. It wasn't set periods. It was hard. It was a battle. A lot different. That was a question I wanted to ask you about the practicing schedule back then. To how you schedule now. I know some of the 10 years before you got there, it was different. It was different practice that I've never heard before, seen before. They had blasting music going on and all that going on. So it was just different. But also, what I'm trying to say is the loyalty. I cannot imagine someone on my team leaving to go to another team 
especially after they what we've accomplished or what they were going to do their junior senior year. Now it seems like the loyalty, the team loyalty, seems to be the biggest and most frustrating thing that would be for me instead of them thinking of themselves. There, there's no question, and it's it's a um, you know everybody's got a selfish bone in. I mean, everybody does, and. That's what it comes down to is what do I need at this moment? And, you know, does it come down to, you know, a choice or a, or a feeling? You know, and I'm, I'm talking to our leadership council tomorrow. I'm taking them to the lake, um, you know, to do some leadership in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we'll go out on some pontoons and have a little fun. And, you know, is it, is it a feeling or a choice? You know, does this place make me feel better? Or is this, you know, because, yeah, I mean, it's, it, sure, it's nice. It's this. It's, you know, you may run out in more seats, but they're not going to be full, maybe. You know, list goes on and on. Why are you doing it? Why? Somebody's telling you to do it, and you can't battle that. And it, you just it's not just you. It's either the voices that are talking to you or it's somebody else talking to you. And that's the hard part you don't understand, you know, that you – it's just hard. We had a young man that's an All-American and Conference Player of the Year, too, that went into the portal for about 10 days and came back. And he's been great for us. So sometimes the pressure from home or wherever is too great. You know, sometimes people don't – they only they don't really know – but they think they know because they see it on Instagram or wherever, social media or on TV. And so that's the hard part when it comes to the loyalty piece, you know, because uh, when they sit there and say, well, coach, my mom's telling me to do this and I'm, you know, my loyalty is to her over you. Okay. You know, I, I, I kind of get that, you know, I'm not saying that's right. Uh, your loyalty in football, you might want to listen to me, but I get it. You know, you got to do you. It's just you got to keep trying to build a culture that they don't want to leave, and it's going to happen because it's available to them, and they can make those choices. And that's the hard part. If they really do, you know, there's some cases I get it, I do get it, but the majority I don't. And I agree with you. When I grew up, you didn't transfer. You know why? Because the only reason you transferred is you got cut. I mean that's that's it. it broke your plate. So you, you had left. to sit out a year too, and you were that's right. You had to sit out a year, and you had to make those decisions. And then they made it to where you, if you transferred down, you had to sit out, or you didn't have to sit out. Which I agree with that. I do because you know, I mean, it is what it is. You may have been over recruited, and you want to go play. You should. You deserve that option, maybe. But uh, it, it's a hard deal to to continue to navigate. I was listening to SEC media's days and everybody's got their opinions on the NIL and all that stuff. And it's fun to listen to the different places, the haves and maybe the not so haves and all that and all the words they have to say. Our practice schedule is, is different. Yes. It's, it's nothing like back in the day. It's nothing like back when I came here with coach. I mean, I remember we, we went to Troy, Alabama, my first game Thursday or Saturday night game, uh, sports South hour, I mean, 9 o'clock start central time, so 10 o'clock eastern time. Of course, we bust. And so that's about, what, eight hours down there? And then our starting safety blows his knee out 
and we got to wait for him to go to the hospital and come back. So we're, we don't get out of there till three in the morning. Long story short, we lose, we roll into here. And it's my first game. So, you know, I'm like, oh gosh, we got to get the film broke now. I got to get traded because we played Western the next week, I think it was. And blah, 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 blah. And Coach Kidd blows a whistle and says, anybody played in the game? Down at Presnell, which is our practice field. Anybody that didn't, see you tomorrow. And we went down and flat out made him put the pads on and got after it. I mean, he'd be fired today if he did that. Let's just be honest. And uh, he shouldn't have been, but, I mean, you know, that's how it was. That was the mentality back then. It was three hours practice, three and a half hour practices, three a days where you can't even do two a days anymore. You only got one a day in training camp. I got nine or ten training camp days. That's it. Where we used to go a whole month. You know, in Austin P, we went six weeks because we were on quarters, which was the dumbest to see. That's half of our recruiting problems. You know, you're on quarters. You play two games with nobody on campus. So it, it it's changed. We go about two to two and a half. All right. Um, there's whiz. There's thud. Whiz means you tag them on the hip. Thud means you give them a little thud. We never live tackle once the season starts with our ones or twos. We'll do some uh, three and four scrimmages. Um, uh, it, it's just, you know, I shouldn't say never, but I try not to. Uh, it's just a different ball game when it comes to that stuff and and the rules and regulations with it. You know, in training camp, after six days, you know, in a seven-day period, you have to give them one day off. <laughs> never had a day off. I mean, you know, I remember coming to training camp here with Coach as a coach in training camp. The only off day we had was on one Sunday. He would take them to church, which gets you in trouble nowadays if you do it. I do it, but, you know, gets you in trouble. And uh, we'd go to – we'd walk to the middle of campus and go to church with the volleyball team. But then we'd come back and do some kind of practice. So we got the morning off. Um, you know, it's just – things are just different. Um, I don't totally agree with it, but – Nobody's called me and asked me to be on the rule committee or, or, you know, they usually every, you know, everything goes through Nick Saban and, you know, <laughs> he makes all the dang decisions, you know, and I'm surprised that these rules are in place, but I don't think he had a choice. You know what I mean? And you could tell coach played against, you know, against um, <laughs> Nick. Kentucky, oh, well. Tennessee. Well, yeah, I played against Western Tennessee. I mean, everywhere. Holy cow. Well, man. we're in Louisiana and we hate Nick. <laughs> you should I was like, oh, yeah, right, Nick. Oh, it's, I was just down there at uh, in, 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 uh, LSU and a uh, good friend of mine's in DC down there now, Matt House. I think he'll do a great job down there. But uh, he's a great coach. But it's just different. You know, recovery is so important. Uh, so, like, in training camp, we do lifting every other day. In the same time slot, we've got recovery every other day. And educating these kids how important recovery is, is, you know, I mean, that's the, the you know, that's what y'all do and are part of it. And, you know, to get them in Norma Techs and to get them in cold tubs and to get them rolled out and to get them to stretch out and develop all these things, um, they don't understand how important that is. To them, it's just, oh, they just want our time. 
Right. And I'm like, guys, we've we've got to continue to to you know keep you healthy. That's our job. I know you're ten foot tall and bulletproof, but that's not how it is anymore. The, the, the game's changed in so many ways like that, and that's important. You know, um, you know all the concussion protocol you got to go through, and then all the data you get on that. It just goes on and on and on um, with everything when it comes to that, and. You know, I do. I still do muscle. I think we. I don't know what we call it, the pit or something. Muscle. I call it muscle beach still. Uh, in practice for the injured guys, you know, they come down and during the individual and all that, they're up there with our strength coach. But it's it's not kill you muscle beach. It's it's work your arms if your legs are hurt. Work your legs if your arms are hurt. You know, and we pull a whole um, weight set out there for different things and just trying to continue to build them so when they come back, they're ready to go. But practice is, is interesting nowadays. <laughs> There's ways to do things, um, but it's still nothing like what, you know, nothing like what us old guys went through. <laughs> so, so what's the mental health pearls of a head football coach? How has it changed? And, 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 and how, how do you guys uh, look at that? Well, I mean, honestly, you know, I've only been a head coach. This is going in my third year. But mental health probably wasn't a big issue until about 10 years ago. Maybe, may, you know, I may be totally, you know, not totally wrong, but a little wrong on the time. You know, back my day and early years of coaching, if if you had a mental health problem, you were solved. Right, right, right. And you just call it like it is. Unless you, unless you thought the guy was really going to shoot you when you walked out of practice. <laughs> Which, you know, sometimes you yell at a guy so bad you think that might happen. I've said it before, you know, if bell towers on. I said, when I walk out and there's a dot on my head, let me know so I can stop duck and roll and, and maybe, maybe not get my head blown off. But, you know, but you start realizing that um, you start getting educated on it. You know, your schools start educating you, start talking to you about it. Um, they start having programs for, for you about it. And, you know, as a head coach, I'm concerned about it because, you know, I don't want to be the reason that somebody, you know, takes their life or takes somebody else's life or loses a passion. You know, um, I think there's a fine line in between all that. You got to understand, you know, that some of the sports are hard and you got to push through some of it. Some of that is, you know, growth. You know, some of that is growing from a boy to a man. In, in our profession, you know, um, or a young lady to a young woman, you know, and uh, uh, but you got to listen to them. You better listen to them because you never know when the one person that you think is conning you or whatever you want to call it is dead serious. Right. And, and when I say dead serious, it could be that. And so we've got people on campus that we we can alert. Um, Jeff Carrico, who is over all our sports medicine here, uh, it really does a good job with that, and and I applaud Jeff with that. You know, and Kristen Peterson, who is is my, uh, my our football specific trainer, and Billy Brown, who is our strength coach, uh, they are in tune. You know, they see them every day, like in recruiting and when we're gone or vacation when we're gone, whatever. They see them every day. And so they probably know them better than anybody. And they know they're, they're, they let their guard down around them more. And uh, so, 
you know, they'll, they'll come to my office and say, hey, we need to talk about so-and-so. He's having this going on in his life. That's why this may be going on. Okay, thanks. I said, let me know before I, you know, go ballistic on a guy what's going on. You know, and, I, and I've learned not to go ballistic as much as I used to. You know, I'm an old old line coach, so you, you can scream at those guys for days and they still go hunt, you know. But uh, you can't do that to everybody and you can't do that to them now. And uh, and that doesn't make them soft. That, that just makes them who they are. I mean, you know, I mean, we can get into that philosophy debate and we'd be here for another five hours. But uh, it, I'd I just take it for what it's worth. If I can provide some input, I do. But normally I, I let the professionals handle it because I don't have the training. I have training. I'm not saying I hadn't been trained, but I don't have the training to really help you. I need somebody to help you. And, and I want somebody to help you. And I'm not holding that against you. That, you know, going to counseling doesn't bother me. You know, used to the guy go to counseling. You know, he'll quit on you. He he won't make a play. He won't do this. He won't do that. You know, he's soft. And I, I've seen some really really talented men go to counseling. <laughs> I mean, NFL all pros go to counseling, and so I don't I don't know. You know, I tell everybody this when they come in here and ask me about that. I grew up in Mayberry. <laughs> two God-fearing Christian parents never, you know, I mean, I got spanked and all that, but never abused me. Always didn't have, you know, I had food, I had clothing, I shelter. I never worried for nothing. Okay. And so I can't relate to some of the problems other than my experience with so many of them. Now that does help me some because I'm old, but it's hard to sit there and be in somebody's shoes if you've never been in. Right. And so it's hard for me to sit there and relate to that. And I tell them that. I said, listen, it's hard for me to relate to that. That doesn't make you wrong. But let's get somebody that's trained to talk to you about this. And, you know, knock on wood, that's been working for us. And, you know, Thank God we've got good counselors here. We've got a good counseling program. We're going to increase it more as we continue to look at I know Matt Rohn, that's our AD. That's one of his big things is to increase that. Um, it's never enough, but it's never enough when one person has a problem. But, you know, we're doing the best we can with that. I know that for sure. Coach, what else do you want to tell us? What, 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 what do we forget? Shoot, y'all didn't forget nothing. I, I just ramble on, you know. <laughs> Great. Great. It's like great. sometimes in recruiting meetings, I got I look at the clock and go, "Oh boys, we got to go to another one. Let's get out of here." I got I, I, I got a couple of observations or questions. So I'm looking at your roster, the 2022 roster. I'm, I'm rifling through it. I'm looking at it. Do you ever have to have a conversation with some of your players about their beard management? Some of those are pretty chin beardish. Well, I mean, you have to set them aside and say. Give it a few more years, and maybe it'd be a little bit bushier. But I, I, I would love to be able to tell somebody that. But if I tried to grow a beard, I'd look like a mangy dog. Could <laughs> be a patch here and a patch here, and so I don't give them advice on it. Good. 
I, I try not to infringe on uh, their uh, personal Style. brand, as we call it. <laughs> it is. I'm looking at him going, oh, jeez, man. Look, there it is. Oh, now, that's where Coach Kidd back in the day would have made him shave. <laughs> <laughs> and then, if I try to make somebody shave, they're going to transfer. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a, here's a shot of uh, Coach Kidd, and it's a national champion. And what I've noticed, and, and just correct me if I'm wrong, why don't we carry coaches on the shoulders anymore? Do we do you know that? What? What's I going don't get on? It. I don't get it. The last time I seen anything simulated to that was when uh, Alabama won in the COVID year, and Landon Dickerson, the center, picked picked Coach Saban up and carried him to midfield. Just huh, see, like fireman carried him. Did That's the want- closest thing. I, I don't. I don't know if, if they don't understand that it's like a one of the greatest honors you can get as a coach. Well, how about we fly in Scott and Rick to Richmond ah. to, to lift you up for the OBC championship this year? Let's do it. That'd be A-Sun championship. A-Sun. I'm sorry. A-Sun. That's all right. Old school. A-Sun. I get you. I understand it, too. I've, I I got to go to media days in two days, and I've, I got to be careful not to say OBC. And uh, – so I'll, I'll be. I've been trying to, you know, parrot that in my mouth. I don't know why they don't do that anymore. I mean, yeah, because maybe, it's a great maybe somebody show, hurt man. their back picking up parcels or somebody like that. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be all mic'd up and say, oh, God, yeah, Coach." God. I, mean, it's I don't know. I was just that's cost a couple of bobs. Well, and that's the it. other thing about Coach Kid. I mean, he's getting at ninety years old. He's getting the Amos Alonzo Stag Award. Wow. In January at our national convention. He got that call about two weeks ago. Right. And when I – Keith called me and told me, Keith's his son, who works for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders now. And uh, I called Coach, and you talk about pure joy in, in, his, in his heart, in his voice. Uh, you know, for somebody 90 years old, been retired for a long time now, uh, 20 years. Um to get that award, you know, that's pretty special. That is amazing, really. Excellent. Yeah, and, and it's it's great. I just love the 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 old uh, old shots of. Oh, and they're awesome. They're awesome, man. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I love yeah. it. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple pictures around here, you know, uh, of him, and and uh, you know, it's 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 fun. I mean, we carried him off uh, when he won three hundred. We carried him off. His last game at, down at Tennessee State, Gosh. and uh, you know some of the guys on my staff are in. Or one guy on my staff is in the picture, Jake Johnson, our defensive coordinator, and all his buddies. So it, it's pretty neat. When, well, when I, I'm going to make it my purpose to make sure that you get carried off. That's what <laughs> I, I want. I want to see that enough to work. make it happen. Yeah, that's going to ship me up there, and I'll have a conversation with. Uh, uh, no, no, my luck. I'll go right over the back, end up, you know, breaking a vertebrae or something. And, they just keep marching on. Hey, we'll, we'll refer you to Cora Physical Therapy, Coach. We'll take <laughs> that's care of exactly you. There it is. I'm trying to set it up. And that's a great segue for ending this great conversation. Hey, Coach, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? To, to just uh, EKU uh, football at EKU.edu. I would have loved playing under you. That would be great. You wouldn't have yelled oh. at me because I would have – I would have. I would have exuded those principles that you. Yeah, I would. Have, yes, I want to win. I, I would probably. I, I, I have reduced my yelling a little bit, uh, um, but you know, the older I get, uh, how do I say this? 
my mother still, you know, says, remember who you are and who you represent. And the language uh, sometimes gets a little cold. (laughs) (laughs) A little surly, little, yeah. All right. Uh, Thank you very much for being on In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Remember, listeners, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. Remember, it's a great website. You you will not be disappointed. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Treating everyone right. You can tell that. At CORE, everyone is welcome, everyone is respected, and well, as everyone is supported to achieve success, that is CORE Physical Therapy. Go to corephysicaltherapy.com. Make it so. Thank you, guys. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you, you, Coach. Much love. I appreciate Appreciate you. you. Look forward to seeing you this fall.